Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network, and if you tuned in to last week's episode, today was expected to be a mystery episode. We have to turn tune in and find out what we were going to chat about. Offense, defense, free agency, the draft. Well, today's no mystery as far as what we are going to discuss as Washington hired Eric Bieniemy to be assistant head coach and full reins of the offense moving into 2023 and hopefully the years to follow. And folks, it's just bottom line with this hiring, just take a step back and look at the positives that have begun to surround this organization. Because over the last almost three decades now, there hasn't been many things to get excited about. A couple few playoff appearances here and there, Sean Taylor, Robert Griffin III, London Fletcher, Ryan Kerrigan, Clinton Portis, Santana Moss. There's been some things to get excited about, but nothing that's lasted. You could think about Kirk Cousins, right? Some success there when Jay Gruden and him were, were in town. But there hasn't been anything to where you look at an organizational altering move. This is what the enemy hire means for this organization. Now, I'm sure all of you have heard many of the questions from your friends, your family. Why did Biennemi take a quote-unquote lateral move to go from Kansas City, where he was working under Andy Reid, had Patrick Mahomes in his hip pocket as his orchestrator of his offense, to come to Washington? And the simple answer is opportunity. And this hiring and the wide lens looking at from a 10,000 foot view, I respect the hell out of Ron Rivera for this move. There's been rumors of a potential retirement. Obviously, we know that there are ownership changes coming in the near future. This is a move for the next, not just this year, in 2023, and the offense and the ceiling, which we'll get into. I want to take you guys into what to expect from an offense run by the enemy, both in the run game and the pass game, and from an overall architectural standpoint of what we can expect from Washington moving in to this fall where expectations have been raised once again on the offensive side of the football. But for Rivera to bring in an individual like the enemy of his status, this is not a move for him to where he has to prove himself by absolutely no means. We know, the league knows, who Eric Bieniemy is as a modern offensive mind that is able to tailor his offensive architecture to the skill sets in place. Did Kansas City have Tyreek Hill this year? No. You look back to August and September of, of last fall, and all the questions and discourse was, what was Kansas City's offense going to look like without the 4-2 runner and all-world everything in Tyreek Hill on the outside from a spacings perspective and a personnel standpoint. 
Then they go and win the Super Bowl. Is that obviously a lot have to go into the Travis Kelseys of the world and obviously with Patrick Mahomes leading the charge under center? Of course. But where does it start? It starts with the mind and the brain of Eric Bieniemy, And taking the skill sets that he had, Juju Smith-Schuster, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Jarek McKinnon, they traded for Kadarius Toney, drafted Sky Moore out of Western Michigan. Do any of those guys move the needle? No. They didn't even have a 1,000-yard receiver this year. Travis Kelsey's a tight end. Does he play like a receiver? Yes, he had over 1,000 yards this year. But either of those guys I just mentioned didn't even reach 1,000 yards. Patrick Mahomes threw for over 5,000 yards. That's unbelievable. And what that tells me is how diverse that offense was from a spacing perspective and the ability for enemy to feed the targets that he has, not pigeonholing guys into limiting what they do on the inside in the slot, on the outside. Obviously, we've seen how much misdirection that they do, confusing defenses at every single level of where the ball is actually going. Every single week, Kansas City did something different over the last handful of years and took advantage of what each defense that they faced, whatever they didn't do well. If you're a defense that didn't fa- that didn't counter power in the run, they're going to run power against you in between the tackles. It doesn't matter if Damian Harris is running or was a guy like Isaiah Pacheco this year. If you don't, if you're not good against zone, he's going to get the offensive lineman in the building that can move in space. You look at Washington's running back group: Brian Robinson, Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick. Jonathan Williams and Jarrett Patterson are both free agents this year. They may go elsewhere to look for other opportunities. But Robinson, McKissick, and Gibson are three different skill sets. We didn't see any pony personnel, which means two running backs on the field. A lot with Green Bay does with A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. All year long, we didn't see it from Kansas City. But what did we see in the Super Bowl? Something that the, the, the Philadelphia Eagles weren't able to counter. Pacheco and McKinnon on the field at the same time. Did they put up gaudy stat lines in the run game or the passing game? No. But it's having those types of dynamic skill sets in the backfield, unique looks, forcing those linebackers to be able to cover, forcing teams inside out, forcing linebackers to cover and corners to tackle. Unique personnel groupings and alignments for whatever defense that you're facing. How many times have we talked over the last three years about how stagnant and repetitive Scott Turner's offense was in Washington? First and second down, there's a really good chance that Washington's running the football. Third down, whether it's third and two or third and nine or playing behind the sticks, you're most likely throwing the ball. Kansas City, it, they're not predictable in what they did under enemy. It didn't matter if it was first down and 10. Heck, you started with a, a first and five on a penalty. You get to a second and 12 or a second and two. It, whether it was a play action, RPO, it's an RPO-based offense. We're going to see a lot of that with Sam Howell this year. It's what he did really well at at Carolina. All that meshes together. But when you look at this offense and the skill players that Washington has at their disposal, and you add in the coaching aspect and an offensive mind that we have 
allowed to walk out of the building for almost a decade. Think back to that 2013 coaching staff. Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur, Mike McDaniel, Kevin O'Connell. The names go on and on and on. Every single one of those individuals did not get an opportunity to potentially be a head coach and lead the roster in Washington. This is finally Washington and the Burgundy and Gold finally have somebody in the building that has that 2023 and beyond mindset to look at each skill set, see what they do well, and tailor that and add that into a game plan, not just for an entire season, but week to week and taking advantage of matchups that you have defensively when you're facing Dallas and Philly and New York twice a year, each a piece away and home. I can't say it enough about how important it is to get somebody in the building that understands how to create mismatches, both in the run and in the passing game. Sam Howell is going to have speed bumps in this offense and just in general being such a young quarterback moving into this fall. There's going to be speed bumps. And beyond that, I remain interested to see what Washington's approach is going to be offensively in, the, in free agency here in, in the next month and a half and in the draft in April. We got the combine next week. Eric Bieniemy will be in Indianapolis. Where does Washington go? I've heard some rumors out of Washington as far as who they're targeting on the front five, both within the interior lungs, that those two guard spots at center and at tackle. Does that take them off the board on day one for a Dewan Jones, a Broderick Jones, right? a Peter Skaronsky? who may play guard at the NFL level, but heard from some NFL teams that would give him a chance to play on the outside because of his arm length and then work him on the inside if it doesn't work out. There's some tackles to be had. Paris Johnson Jr. from Ohio State. A lot of names in the tackle class around that range of 10 to 20, 10 to 25 that are going to come off the board. And if Washington wants that guy and another Fresh set of legs to keep Sam Howell, the shiny new toy under center, upright. And you got to go get a guy. Then you think about the tight ends room. How important Travis Kelsey and Noah Gray and Blake Bell were in that offense for Kansas City. You think of a guy like Michael Burton. If you guys remember that name or it sounds familiar, he was in Washington for a little bit. He played that H-back, that fullback role for Kansas City. Wasn't heavily involved. But Washington has to figure out who's going to play tight end and play it well and be a weapon. Not just be a Y-aligned tight end, attach to the line of scrimmage and be able to block. You got to do both. You got to be an athlete and not just be a sure set of hands within the offensive game plan, but be able to get the ball in your hands and create. Because the best athlete that Washington has in their tight ends room right now is Armani Rogers, who's an undrafted free agent out of Ohio and was a former quarterback, converted to the tight end position. Now, We've seen a lot of those guys recently around the NFL do that. Logan Thomas was one coming out of Virginia Tech. Philadelphia has one in Tyree Jackson, who played quarterback at Buffalo. He's on their practice squad in Philadelphia. Big 6'8 kid. We've seen it a lot recently. But Washington, these are spots that are so important in the enemy offense, specifically tight end, to where you're forcing another corner on the field, another safety, to counter a tight end, a bigger, quicker tight end. You don't have to have a guy. This isn't the days of the Jeremy Shockeys, the Dennis Pittas, the Heath Millers of the world, where you're primarily 
asked to dominate in the run game and be a sure set of hands in that 10 to 15 yard range of the offense and as a red zone threat. You have to be able to do both. Travis Kelsey is one of the top tight ends to ever play the game. Him and Mahomes will probably go down right along with Brady and Gronkowski as one of the top quarterback to tight end slash receiver combos to ever play the game. We don't have that and have not ever had that in Washington. But you look at the skill sets that Washington has. Terry McLaurin, John Dotson, Curtis Samuel, Deami Brown. Curtis, excuse me, Cam Sims is a free agent this year. I would not be surprised if he comes back again this year and is on the field a ton because I expect Washington to live in 11 personnel. One running back, one tight end. You have all these receivers in the building. You didn't pay Terry handsomely. You didn't draft Jahan on day one. You didn't pay Curtis handsomely. You didn't draft Diami on day two to look cute in uniform with a quote-unquote two-to-one run-pass ratio. You have to have a balanced approach. Kansas City lived in 11 personnel over the last few years. Because why? They have a deep rotation of receivers that want to align in the slot, align to the outside. We're not going to see a lot of designated touches and plays behind or at the line of scrimmage this year on screens. That's not a lot of a featured pillar of the enemy offense. I know we're used to that a little bit with Scott Turner. Doesn't mean we won't see screens this year. But just looking back over the last five years in Kansas City, there just hasn't been a lot of designated touches or quick screens to the outside for receivers. Where Washington is going to live is allowing Terry McLaurin and Jahan to live in that 5-10 to yard area before taking calculated shots downfield because we know those guys can run and create at the catch point and rise above the corners and play above the rim. They're going to live 5-10 to yards, get the ball in their hands, yards after catch. Terry's a high 4-2 runner. Is Jahan a burner by any means? No. But look back at that Giants game in MetLife, spinning in the open field, making guys miss. Jahan does that well. We know how good of hands both those guys have. Deami Brown, look at the Tennessee game. That's his ceiling as a deep threat, lifting the roof of the defense. Antonio Gibson, I'm extremely excited to see what Antonio is in this offense with Biennemi. Because again, wide receiver at Memphis, got his running back spot taken, not just because of ball security. Brian Robinson earned the job. He is RB1 moving in to the fall. How will Antonio be used? I would not be surprised if he's used more in space with his hands. We've seen the ability of Antonio in space. But overall, what does that present? Another chess piece, another number, another skill set for if you're on defense to draw another set of eyes or two that aren't on Terry, that aren't on Jahan. It's making all 11 athletes on defense force them to cover Every single blade of grass. I don't care if it's a defensive lineman at 300 pounds or it's a safety that runs 4-3. It's forcing everybody to come together as a unit defensively and understand your keys and what you're looking at from a landmark perspective on defense. What you're doing in man, what you're doing in zone. And what Eric Bieniemy does so darn well is be able to take advantage of each defense schematically because of how different they are. There's different defenses in this league. Some are man heavy, some are zone heavy, some are blitz heavy. Taking advantage of of teams' weaknesses and putting those into each game plan every single week. We're not going to have to worry about an offense being stagnant this fall and in the years to come because it is constantly adjusting. We talk about the history of Washington. 
Joe Gibbs, the most legendary head coach in Washington's history. What he was so good at, adjustments, whether it's making a game plan during the week or you're at halftime and you're down 10 and you need adjustments made on either side of the ball. Eric Bieniemy is not the head coach right now. He is not Ron Rivera. But strictly from an offensive perspective, if there are lapses of their speed bumps, which we will have this year, we are not going to come out and be the Kansas City Chiefs. I hope you guys aren't expecting that because we do not have number 15 under center and we do not have number 87 on our offense. Do we have talent? Of course. Is the ceiling there to be a top 10 potential offense this year? I think you can answer that question. The skill sets are in place. But there's a difference between looking on paper and seeing potential and then getting on a football field Sunday at 1 o'clock, lining up man-to-man, and executing. There's a difference, folks, between potential and execution. But when you have all those things meshed together, and you have the excitement that there's going to be at FedEx Field Week 1, I hope it's packed. If Washington's home Week 1, we'll see when the schedule comes out. Love to get that place packed. Because things are on the up and up in D.C. New ownership. Eric Bieniemy in the building. Going to have a new face most likely under center. You got new uniforms heading into year two. The commander's name, year two. Lots of things that are positive moving forward. We'll, we'll see if the stadium's actually going to happen in the next decade, I hope. Deserve it, right? DC, this fan base, you guys, right? We deserve a, a beautiful stadium, a state-of-the-art stadium. FedEx, it's a concrete jungle. There's not much culture to it. Right? You look at it, and you're, it's just a regular stadium. There, there's college parks, you know, college stadiums that have more culture, that are more state-of-the-art, that are more modern, have a nicer feel overall than FedEx does. But when you start to win ball games, it doesn't matter where you're playing. You could be playing down the street with a couple of those bleachers, stealing from the soccer moms and put them on the field. People are going to show up if you start to win ballgames. You start to light up the Jumbotron a little bit with points. 18.9 points per game last fall. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. I'm glad Washington made the change moving on from Scott Turner. Were there positives during his time here? Of course. But things were stagnant and it was just time for a change. And to get the individual and the type of hire that this is, at surface level, all you're going to hear is, why is it a lateral move? But for the now and for the long term is a hire that could be franchise altering for the overall future of this franchise. And I am extremely intrigued and excited to see what Eric Bieniemy Eric brings to this team, not just on the field from an offensive perspective, but the mind and the experience and the prestige of the last five years of being within a locker room and meeting rooms with Patrick Mahomes, with Andy Reid, constantly winning AFC West titles, AFC championships, and making it to Super Bowls seemingly every year. Because the Chiefs are continuing to, they're going to continue to be successful. But getting that type of individual in Ashburn that is well-deserved of not just the full reins of the offense, but potentially what's to come down the line as potential head coach for the Commanders, is well-deserved and really overdue. So that's my thoughts on, on Eric Bieniemy. I'm going to keep it short and sweet for you guys today. Overall, folks, I'm, I'm just really excited, really intrigued because of how unique 
Biennemi is going to be with the offense and the skill sets that are in place. Guys are going to reach new levels from a production standpoint. Terry, Jahan, whether it's J.D. McKissick, you know, he's got to stay healthy and be on the field. Whether it's guys in the front five, we'll see who Washington aligns from left tackle to right tackle come September. All of these things will come together and mesh, And but you got the brain trust. The guy who's spearheading it, the guy who's captaining the ship is the right man in place for this group on offense. So that's going to do it for today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed. Please leave a like, review, share, subscribe. I'm on Twitter if you don't follow me already, underscore Ryan Fowler. All my written work is housed at thedraftnetwork.com. I have a written piece just released this morning on the site focusing on what the enemy will offer from a written perspective in the run game and the pass game. You guys want to check that out. I will have a podcast. I'm planning to have a podcast out for you guys next Monday. However, the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis kicks off early next week. I'm going to try to get a podcast out for you guys. I want to focus on five guys from the Commanders in 2022 that I want to see more of moving into 2023. So diving into each guy on offense or defense, kind of what I expect for them moving into 2023 and taking that next step up the ladder and elevating themselves as an athlete. So as always, appreciate your time. I will talk to you guys soon. Enjoy your week. Enjoy your weekend. I'm Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network, and this is Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 